The car fire in Reading. I was up on Highway 299 that day when the fire blew up. It was 113 degrees. It was a very fast-moving, changing fire. And I realized that uh, my fuel was low. A potentially deadly mistake. I said, okay, you, you should have taken the 10 minutes that it took to get fuel before you turned up that road and went into the fire. A confession from a man who has spent more than 30 years on some of California's most destructive wildfires. He's not a first responder, but he is a pro. And when he sees reckless behavior by amateurs, he's straight up with them. Do you want to die today? You don't want to end up at Holy Cross at the burn center? You should go. He's no stranger to earthquakes either. And I realized that I was sitting on the ground and I'd been thrown out of the truck. In fact, you could say his life has been one big disaster after another, starting when he was just a little boy. Christmas Eve, there was a flood and they came and took us off of our porch in a boat. And in the middle of the night, being in a boat with my grandmother, cars floating down the road. and. This guy has had a special relationship with, as well as the respect of, the fire community for decades. He's a news cameraman extraordinaire, a photojournalist who also happens to be a volunteer fire photographer with Fremont Fire and a VIP photographer for CAL FIRE. Now, think about that for a moment. You might be one of those people who instinctively opposes allowing any media into any disaster. But ask yourself this question, have you objectively considered the benefits of that? Not to mention California's open access laws for journalists in a free society. Well, our conversation with Tim Walton will give you a better understanding of how his role and of those like him is important to the overall safety of communities, possibly yours. He's a seasoned disaster documentarian from the School of Journalism that respects the public's right to know. Oh, if you want to see some of his work, and I highly recommend that you do, we'll tell you where at the end of this podcast. Tim Walton, thanks for being here. Good to see you. <laughs> thanks, Sean. Yeah, absolutely. No, great. I've been wanting to have you in here for quite some time because I know you've got a lot of very uh, interesting stories to tell, but also a lot of great experiences and lessons learned uh, from your perspective, your point of view. Let's tell people a little bit about yourself. Give us a thumbnail sketch about your career and uh, choice as a uh, news photographer, videographer. How did I get into this mess? How did you get into this mess, Tim Walton? Well, I had gone back to college uh, in my mid-20s, late, early mid-20s, and I really didn't know what to do with myself. And, uh, and I went back into the community college level got involved in theater. I said, well, this is something that's interesting. You know, it'll uh, keep me occupied. I like to build things. I like to, uh, uh, you know, I, I, li I like the whole lay of the land as a technician, not an actor. And, okay. You know, I was forced to Stage do, I, I was forced to do some acting when some actors didn't show up for uh, a production once. Uh -huh. But it was there, I met my wife oh. and uh, of 40 years. Congratulations. Yeah. That's and an accomplishment that, in and of itself. That is an accomplishment. She today works with me as a sound engineer in my sound tech. And we sort of started our careers together. Um, I went from the community college level into cable television as a uh, program director in a public access station. And got my hands on cameras and got my hands on the control room and really didn't know what we were doing, but we produced 25 hours of original programming each week for um, a, a cable company. I bet you learned a lot at, at that and, and you, Yeah, and you learned what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. And then as technology developed, this was in 1978 when I, or 77 when I took that job, and technology was flipping over and from film to video. And um, it wasn't, didn't, wasn't too long in, into it that I bought my own uh, video camera. I was really the first guy to shoot videotape 
in the field and make it available for all the stations to have in the Bay Area. And that's what and, a stringer does. And that's what a, that's what a stringer does. And I developed a lot of relationships with fire departments and police departments. And they knew me. I showed up. That I wasn't showing up because it, um, you know, wasn't a news story. Because you know, I went because it, it was something that needed to be covered. And uh, that's how I did, got into news. And I uh, eventually became a staff. Uh, cameraman at KICU in San, in San Jose, Channel 36, and I went on to Cron TV. I quit after that and w- took a, some freelance jobs, took a leave of absence, and I never went back. So I've been freelancing ever since, and I worked for NBC Network News, uh, CNN, CBS, ABC. I've worked for just about everybody. Right, and, and you've you covered know, quite and covered. a bit of different kinds of news oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, not not just local and regional, but I've been fortunate enough to travel overseas and and uh, work some of the stories of our time. Yeah, yeah. You've seen history uh, unfold right before your eyes, haven't you? Yes, I have. So what was the first disaster you ever covered? Do you remember that? I like to say it was when I was uh, three years old. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Three or that? four years old. But uh, I we, we lived in a town called Niles, which is a district of Fremont now. And it was in 1955 that Christmas Eve, there was a flood, and they came and took us off of our porch in a boat in the middle of the night. And I remember it almost, you know, at least it, for me, the, you know, I have this memory that's very, very clear of what happened, you know, being in a boat with my grandmother, cars floating down the road, and being taken to a shelter and uh, waiting, you know, several days. It was you know, for the water to recede. I like to say that was my first disaster, but probably my first professional disaster was probably the 89 quake, the, okay. the Loma, San, Prieta. Loma Prieta quake. Yeah. I was working at Cron TV and uh, myself and a correspondent and another colleague. We were doing a live shot um, in San Jose and car alarms started going off. And we were looking at each other, and and I was engineering that day, which meant I was sitting in the truck with this is a typical news truck with the big tall mass and the microwave dish radiating to Loma Prieta. We were five or six miles as a crow flies from the epicenter, wow. and my cameraman, who was working with me that day, was uh, on the roof of the truck, and. For some reason, he thought that was going to be a better shot to see our reporter, our correspondent. And as things began to shake and roll and and the mast was boom, 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 uh, whipping in the air back and forth, I looked up and I was warning my my colleague to look up, keep heads up, that mast could snap. And I realized that I was sitting on the ground and I'd been thrown out of the truck and was sitting on the ground looking up at the at the mask going boom, boom, boom. Wow. And uh, then it subsided. Then we went off to cover it, you know, for a straight week. So that was the first really big disaster that I had experienced. Yeah. Well, you've gotten your share of adrenaline since then. Yes. Uh, so that was a, a, a big, high-profile disaster for you, uh, the first one. Uh, what are some of the others? Have there been one or two others that that really stand out in your mind as being big ones that really tried you professionally? There's hurricanes. There's Katrina. Mm-hmm. Katrina was a, a, a big story, uh, obviously for a lot of the reasons. I was there for six weeks. I was there when the storm came in, but went in after that uh, the the three days after and set up shop on the on Canal Street in New Orleans and did live shots for NBC for five, six weeks and had Rita come through at the same time. Mm. Um, Hurricane Andrew chased Hurricane Gilbert, but we stopped at the Mexican border because it went from Texas into Mexico and couldn't mm. go. Forest fires. Lots I mean, of those. lots of those. What kind of impact did they have on you, uh, personally, professionally? Because you've been exposed to so many different kinds of disasters, both uh, natural and well, man-made. Man-made. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about mass shootings. Right. Um, I've been to at least thirty of those. Are you so, kidding me? No, 30. no. Oh, easily. You know, wow. it started at the Stockton schoolyard shooting here in California, 
and it just uh, 101 California in San Francisco. There was one in Sunnyvale, workplace shootings. You know, we didn't always refer to them as mass shootings. There would be workplace shootings mm-hmm. or something like that. Columbine. What about San Oregon, Bernardino? San Bernardino. I was yeah. in San Bernardino. And, you know, if, if you sit down and actually start counting those things, they, they add up. And, and I'm uh, Las Vegas. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I stopped counting and I sort of made the request that uh, uh, if you need me later on in the process, call me, but I'm, I'm tired of going. I don't blame you. I, as a reporter, I did a lot of those as well. I covered a lot of crime and uh, did cover hurricanes and whatnot. And you do see things that you will never forget and they do impact you, whether you know it or not. What have you learned in covering those things. I think I was lucky. Well, you might think he's lucky to have covered all that he has without injury, and you may be right, but that's not what he's talking about right there. Whether you're a firefighter, a law enforcement officer, or a journalist, you see a lot you can't forget. And seeing it all through a viewfinder can give you a false sense of security. You know, you always try to find a way to keep your composure while you're doing the job, but after the job is when it's done, and the adrenaline stops, that's when things can become rocky. So what has made him so lucky? Well, he's about to tell you, as well as how the thousands of hours of footage he shot has actually helped fire investigators and with training. Here's more with photojournalist Tim Walton. I think I was lucky because as I sort of graduated into the business, I had had a lot of contact with first responders and I made a lot of friends. And um, in our city in Fremont, uh, the fire chief at the time, Dan Lydon, who was retired, and uh, uh, it was just a, an amazing person, a chief who, who saw really early on what the, his people are, would go through. They developed a debriefing process and, and program. In, in my world, everybody was always looking out for each other. So if my friends in the fire department knew that I had been to some story that might raise a few red flags in your uh, stress levels, they would say, hey, how are you doing? Come on over. Hey, you want to talk about it? Uh, uh, let's debrief. I can't tell you, though, how many times that I went to cover, as Fremont Fire Photo 1, went to cover events, rescues, uh, fires, traumas, uh, everything from, you know, plane crashes to, um, you know, chemical spills. Uh, it, it might be just an auto versus pedestrian. There might be children involved. And you see these things and you, you know, you always try to find a way to keep your composure while you're doing the job. But after the job is when it's done and the adrenaline stops, that's when things can become rocky. And just the, the friendships that I have developed and the, uh, and they always treated me like one of their own. I had a pretty good, I'm underselling it by saying pretty good. I had an excellant support system. So debriefing, debriefing, you. Mm-hmm. Real, you know, the word debriefing and, and, and I tried to carry that into every aspect of my work, but there's going to come a point where, you know, if, if it's getting to you, 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 you know, you're, it's your responsibility to, to lean in and say, uh, okay, I've had enough. I need to back off and I need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. because you, you will, if you're going to be in anywhere in this business of, of news gathering and uh, covering disasters, covering these uh, horrific fires that have, that have plagued our state, you are a human being. And uh, y- when you're doing your job, you have to be cold and calculated. But it catches up with but you. But it will catch up with you if you're not careful mm-hmm. and you have to recognize it. Yeah. Your sound engineer and, wife, does she help you? Do you help yes. each other in that oh, regard? Oh, yeah. I would imagine. I mean, she's, I mean <laughs> my wife has seen just as much as I. And or or others and everybody in this business, there are no exceptions to the vulnerabilities that uh, we all face. Obviously, it has had an impact on you um, professionally. It's helped you. Uh, one job helps you get the next, and you've built up a reputation. 
and uh, your reputation in this business is what? What do you think your reputation is right now? Well, sometimes I wonder. <laughs> do you? Yeah, sometimes I wonder. I believe that one, one, one of the reasons I have the I should back up about why I have good relationships with, with uh, uh, fire agencies and, and people who know me and police officers. I am not afraid to share what I do with them. And if I'm working uh, for a news agency directly, the images I shoot don't belong to me. They belong to somebody else. But anything that I shoot while I'm freelancing, particularly in uh, the uh, in, in the fire service and and the stuff that I gather, I will share it. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone says to me, "Can I see that?" or you know, I, I, and you I, do, I, I, and I do, yeah, and and, and I may and I may, because I think you need to give it back. You need to give your your work should if you choose it should be put to the best use. And it, if somebody says, "Can I see how that?" forest fire developed or were you here when this happened and if it helps clarify what happened and if it helps clarify how it could be prevented Mm -hmm. or particularly how it could uh, save somebody's life or be of a useful as a training tool then i'm fine with that and I and I think that's the way it should be. Tim, as you know, you've been so generous uh, with your much of your footage, and you uh, have given us quite a bit of it, which is uh, one of the ways that we've worked together. And I always find uh, your work fascinating. Uh, some of the situations that I'm looking at you being in when you're shooting this video. You're a firefighter with the exception of the fact that you don't have a hose that you're holding. I mean, you are there and you're getting footage that we can't get. You started to talk about sharing this footage as a way to give back the footage that you shoot as a freelancer. Talking about that video, that kind of video, what instances can you think of where you know it has helped someone in an investigation or has helped in training? There has been. And particularly, there was a period of the 90s where I was uh, available a lot in, in, in my city to respond to greater alarms or, you know, or where there was a fire that was suspicious. Without naming these investigations, um, I remember very vividly there was a a suspicious fire. There had been an explosion, and we, the fire inspector had shown up, and he and I were walking around together, and we started doing an interview with the owner of the building who had come back, and the the person started laying out what he thought had happened, and I just was shooting. I just just shot it. And we kept going, and he kept talking, and pretty soon another person showed up, and the other person was uh, a coworker, and offered up their ideas of what they thought had happened. We looked at each other and thought, well, we better keep this interview, because you don't always get it recorded. It's pretty good. Well, it turns out that those two had planned this fire had planned it to uh the cover up wow. some personal problems they were having it was uh, they thought they were going to be destroying all the evidence that was involved with it and they all they went to prison <laughs> you know so and then there have been other inst- instances where things that i've shot had well <laughs> this one will be very easy to tell it was in san jose and it was a seven alarm fire in south san jose a school was on fire and it was it was one of these things where they all had common attics and a, and an octagon building and it uh, was one of the, at the time this was in the late 80s and it was at the time one of the largest fires in San Jose's history and I had driven from my house in, in the Fremont down to South San Jose I get there the fire is still going full bore and as I walk up I always start with a wide picture a wide shot. And then I sequence in. And as I got in closer and closer, I came across an area of the school where there was some beer cans and a six-pack of beer had been there. And I shot that. And I said, okay. And then I went on and I went and covered the fire and we, the footage went 
on television and, you know, of course no one was interested in the beer cans, but when I was asked by one of the fire inspectors, if I had seen anything, I, I said, yeah, I, you might want to take a look at this. And he was a friend of mine. I'd, I'd known this guy for a while. He was a, and in San Jose, the, the fire inspectors are police or sworn police officers. Okay. And so I said, Hey, look at this. He goes, where was that? And he went back the next day and went to those those beer cans, lifted fingerprints off of them. You're kidding. And had a hit. Oh. And went and contacted them, and they confessed to setting the phone. Oh. <laughs> it was intentional. Yeah, it was an arson. Oh, man. So th- that's the kind of thing that I've, I've, I've been involved in. There you go. Just one example of how photojournalist access can help crack the case of a suspicious fire. Here it led to an arrest and arson charges. As a professional, Walton is protective about his reputation and that of his fellow photojournalists. So that's why he's blunt, very blunt, with anyone he comes across whose reckless disregard for safety puts them in jeopardy. Do you want to die today? Or would you you want to end up at Holy Cross at the Burn Center? You want to end up at UC Davis? Because this is what's going to happen to you if, if you continue to do that. And you should go. And he has plenty to say to anyone, PIOs included, who may find themselves tasked to document a disaster, especially a wildfire. More on awareness of the benefits and importance of giving journalists access, and that includes photojournalists and the law that supports them. And by the way, he has been denied access, at least for that moment. What happened next sent the right message loud and clear. Maybe some of the younger, less seasoned fire chiefs may not realize that there is a benefit to having a news photographer, a news videographer on scene. Most fire chiefs, fire personnel, their inclination is to get you to move away from the scene. There is some benefit to having a videographer on scene shooting the video. Have you ever had sort of a face-to-face discussion, I'm going to use that term with air quotes around them, with fire chiefs who don't want you there, but yet you're entitled to be there? Yes, I've had that discussion. And I hate using the word entitled, but you have a right to be there. Well, I have a legal right to be there. That's right. It's uh, 409.5, Section D of the California Penal Code, 409.6 also, which relates to uh, other types of disasters like avalanches, for instance. But 409.5, Section D simply states that news photographers, reporters, anybody who is a bona fide representative of a news agency can enter an area closed pursuant to that section. 409.5 is the only law in California that allows agencies to close an area for public safety. We are exempt from that. Mm. And it's uh, and if you read it very closely, it's it's plain and simple. It says d- f- fires, floods, avalanche, uh, uh, earthquake, riot, which is a criminal activity. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what it does, law enforcement can say, okay, we're putting a barricade up here. The public ex- is excluded. But as the press in California is allowed to enter those sections – uh, and and enter the areas closed, and you can go up to a crime scene, of course, to where the crime scene tape is. So you know, so we can see, have a superior view, and the legislators in this state thought it was in the best interest of everybody to have that because mm-hmm. they want to see what's going on, and they need a, they need a, a uh, an independent party to understand and to see. And you cannot tell me that it is to their detriment unless they're grossly incompetent or something. Have you ever had to have that discussion? Yes. And and have you yes. have you ever been denied even after I, that discussion? I I have been denied but uh, prevailed. One case in particular was uh, in Santa Clara County, Santa Cruz, Santa Clara County, the Lexington fire. That was a big fire that was burning and. Uh, uh, and it was the focus. It was one of the state's biggest fires at the time, and uh, the highway patrol, in particular, and, and you know they said couldn't enter, couldn't go in. Um, our news desk, you know, I said I relayed that information. Our news desk called the commissioner's office. The commissioner had a broadcast put out on the 
highway patrols operating radio frequency and advise them that if anyone is impeding the press entering into the area, they would be suspended mm. because it's a misdemeanor. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. They would be committing a misdemeanor to to so and so that was one of of many, but most agencies are trained. The and I you know I I said the highway patrol, but they are very good. They they are very that was a rare a, a rare event and that happened. That happened in 1988 yeah, or, or 87 or something. A little like more that. savvy nowadays. But, but well, they train it in the academy. They teach it, and anybody uh, uh, in in law enforcement, they know they know the law. Mm-hmm. Now they may try to discourage you, but the law also, we're they're indemnified for our safety, so. They're not really responsible for that. And you are taking your life into your own hands by making those decisions to go into very dangerous areas. Yes, you you are. And it's important to understand what you're doing when you're covering or understand, in my case, uh, it's fire behavior. I look for extreme fire behavior. You've been doing Uh, this long enough that... And, and you've been, I've been taught by, yeah. by I've been taught by better people than I, uh, men and women of of uh, the fire service and, and the people who have shared their insights and studies and and I and I read, the, I read almost every report in the state of California that has to deal with a, a, a fire death or a burnover, and, and I understand what to look for. Now that doesn't guarantee that you don't. Get yourself into a situation where you, you, you're you're going to be sorry, or you're going to get injured, or possibly killed. But it's important for anybody who does this job, or anybody who who covers fires. All 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 the news stations in California understand that they're going to be covering fires at some point. They've got to give their people protective equipment. They've got to send them to some some sort of training training. Yeah. To yeah. understand what fire will do, because it's the small things that will get you injured and killed. It's the fire that you believe is not a big deal, that's only burning seven or eight inches worth of grass, and then suddenly the wind comes up and those flames go from going straight up or moving slowly to a blowtorch laying on the ground and turn around and and burn you mm-hmm. or suck the air out of your lungs. Tell me about one of your close calls. I try not to have any close calls. Okay, but that doesn't mean you haven't had one. Well, I've I have had some would think might think they were close calls, but I have uh, been at a lot of large fires and small fires where the wind would shift or the fire behavior would change and perhaps cause you to rethink your positioning and where you're going to be. Uh, and I and I've had that happen, but I've have not been burned or uh, I have not been uh, run over. I've, I've never had to deploy a shelter. And you take but, one with you. Oh, I have, a sh- I have three or four mm-hmm. in, the, in, in my truck at all times in case I run into somebody who doesn't have one. I also have, um, I wear protective uh, equipment. I wear Nomex, uh, helmet, uh, boots. I have um, water. I have Things you know, I have things with me that uh, even even some tools that if you have to scratch out a place in the soil or or uh, I have left areas that when the wind shifted and I thought I was in a safe area and I've returned to that area after the fire and realized that it was not a safe area that uh, and most of my training had told me that this would be a safe place. But it wasn't. Yeah. If you were to sit down with a fire chief now and, and have some debate over whether or not you should be let in, that's throwing the law aside. What would be your argument then to a, a fire chief? What would be your debate about whether or not you should be let into an area to shoot the video that you need to shoot? Well, first of all, you'd have to convince that person or whoever is that you're not there to interfere in any way, that you understand the surroundings, you understand your area, you understand that this could go bad and, and understand why. Sometimes it's just not possible to uh, convey what you 
know or what you think you know that would, would put that person at ease. But the first thing I think directly you say, look, I'm not here to make anybody look stupid or look like a monkey. I'm here to cover the fire. Mm -hmm. And frankly, if they're leaving, I'm leaving too. I think the core of your question is you, you need to put that person at ease. Understand and respect their responsibilities and understand that they, you know, they're wearing a white shirt for a reason and uh, that they have uh, a, a larger responsibility than you do. Right. I'm curious how many amateur photogs that you come across when you're out there in the field and you've had to explain to them your wisdom and why they should do something differently. I'm pretty blunt. Yeah. I have run into people who are, you know, wearing shorts and thongs and their swimwear, and they're standing there with a, their iPhone and, you know, or, or any other kind of thing. And I look at them and I go, you know, do you want to die today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or would you, you know, want to end up at Holy Cross at the burn center? You want to end up at UC Davis? Because this is what's going to happen to you if, if you continue to do that. And you should go. Do you feel like they give your industry a bad reputation? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean are, are there enough of them out there to make that happen? Because as a reporter, I got tired of having to make excuses or apologize for the reporters who didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And made the rest of us look bad. Right. There's a lot of truth to that. And I have had my uh, debates with, uh, with reporters. I've been fortunate enough that anyone who knows me generally respects what I have to say to them. I've been asked by news managers. I've been asked by uh, bureau chiefs, what do I think? should happen here what you know how should we do this you know um i think in, it, it, particularly in the last decade there's been a, a little a lot more attention paid to you know the conduct of of uh journalists on the fire ground mm. by stations i mean i know that at least in the larger markets that they have tried to make sure they have personal protective clothing but there there are a lot who, are. who who don't get it they, well, I, I, you know, I, I just don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush. I understand. But, but there uh, are those. But, but there are those, and I think that um, sometimes there's not a lot you can do about mm -hmm. it. Let me tell you a quick little story. that This was in my early days as a reporter. I was working in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, as you know, Florida has its own brush fires, its wildfires right. to deal with. And there was a big one. And the photographer I was with, the videographer, he uh, was uh, even less experienced than I was at the time. And he was very good at what he did. He was a good photographer, had a lot of talent. We were offered an opportunity to go with the fire chief uh, as media representatives. We, we all piled in the back of his pickup truck, and he took us out to the fire lines himself and said, here you go. Uh, those of you who have certain types of clothing on, you should know that you should have something better on. Unfortunately, I don't have any to give uh, you. To give you. Uh, so anyway, we went out there, we were shooting some video, and we were all kind of in the same area, and the photographer I was with had his camera pointed up at this palm tree, very tall, the big bunch at the top, and this thing caught fire and it exploded, and it sent raining embers down on mm -hmm. all of us. Well, this guy was burned the worst. And the reason for that, he was wearing literally nylon fishnet top. Of stuff some that kind. would, no stuff protection that, or would melt. Stuff that made him look good sure. prior to that. Right. His shirt looked like Swiss cheese and he had little burn welts all over him. And that's a perfect example of uh, you got to have some common sense and you got you to gotta know what you're doing. You got to understand safety. And put your ego aside. There's no doubt. When you get up in the morning, you should be sure that in your car or in what your truck or your motorcycle or whatever, that you have your fire gear. Because if you don't, you're going to end up at trying to cover something, and they're going to look at you like, I mean, you know, they can't make you wear it. But, boy, your chances of covering it and getting into a place where you're going to, 
see what's happening is going to be a lot better if you come dressed. This is perfect. You are leading into my next question here. Really, what is the advice that you would give, you know, whether they're photographers or non-photographers, PIOs who are, you know, mandated to go out there and shoot this stuff? What would you tell them? What advice would you give them besides now all of a sudden making sure you have the right PPE in the trunk of their car? What would be some of the advice, some of the tips you would give them? Like I said, get dressed. Make sure you have uh, that everything's working. A radio would be a good thing to have. Uh, in yeah, as reporters or photographers, if they don't have a scanner that's capable of listening to the radio traffic, that um, a two-way radio. Yeah, two, well, two-way radio. Yeah, I mean, usually all the television stations they would have their own two ways for their own uh, frequencies uh, uh, for their own stations, but something to listen to the the actual fire and now it's being operated and directed scanner. because a scanner would mm -hmm. is 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 a big deal because you need to know what they know but the for PIOs maybe bring along some extra gear to hand out you know have uh, a couple of, uh, extra helmets a couple extra jackets at least um you know, Levi's could be okay if you're not going to get too close. Uh, but, you know, boots, shoes. I mean, you can't have everything there so everybody can get dressed. But, you know, helmets, goggles. Right. So for someone who's a one-man band, let's say, um, have you ever had to do a one-man band disaster story, maybe edit in the field and, you know, feedback your footage, your stock footage? Yeah. 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 All the time. All the time. All the time. But I work alone. I don't want anybody in the tr in my vehicle with me. I don't want to be responsible for that person. Working alone may relieve him of that burden, but can also allow for mobility and expedience. Think about this. What if you're given an assignment to document an event with photos or video? What strategy would you use to get what you need and get the material back to the office in a timely fashion? Well, Tim has some advice for you. The recent car fire in, in Reading. I was up on Highway 299 that day when the fire blew up, and uh, it was 113 degrees. And it seemed like I spent more time avoiding the fire than I did actually shooting it because it, it was a very fast-moving, changing fire. And I realized that uh, my fuel was low. I said, okay, you, you should have taken the 10 minutes that it took to f get fuel before you turned up that road and went into the fire. Fuel. It's easy to forget until it's too late, right? He's also a man about wilderness survival. He'll tell us what's in his minimalist camera bag, as well as his truck. He may have thought of some things you won't. So let's get back to Tim Walton, who believes in evolution. Well, so what is your strategy then for getting you know, the necessary footage and getting it into your... Uh, dispatch on time. If I know where I'm going or if I'm there ahead of it, usually I'm there well ahead. But when I think of the evolution of, of this, the evolution is you go out in the field, if, you, if you're within microwave range of a station, you'd find a truck and be able to feed it back, and then the station would be able to put it up to the network. Now... Uh, technology changes and we uh, the videotape goes away and you're shooting on digital and things can go on your phone or your laptop and you go out you shoot footage you go find a place where it's quiet calm away from it put together something and then find an internet connection and and feed it up through the internet now uh, it's it's or you find the satellite if it's a big enough story the satellite truck is going to come and you know people are going to come to you and you're going to be able to do that. Um, but now it, I have a live view, mm -hmm. which is a small box that has uh, six telephone modems in it, and if I'm in good cell service, I could be live anywhere, any place, any time. That has made things a lot easier. So how is it that you find such great locations, uh, and I say great with a, I t I t that's not the right word, but mm -hmm. you're able to get a point of view, a perspective on whatever the disaster is. Usually I see the wildfire footage. You always seem to be in the right place at the right time to get the most kick butt video. How do you, how do you know where to go? Or is it just well, pure luck? You're, you have to, first of all, monitor what's going on. You have to know where, where your fire is. So uh, a lot of stuff, I mean, it's a couple hours of driving. Uh, the internet has really 
honed my uh, saved me a lot of gasoline because I could if I get a notification on my phone you know either through by following Cal Fire or Cal OES or or fire departments individually or ranger units or the forest service where they'll notify the public right away when they have a a, a fire and what's nice is that in most i would say 95% of the state you can listen to the radio traffic on on your phone and you can make a decision whether or not this is going to be something that needs to be covered or it's just going to be another routine uh, fire that's going to get knocked down in in eight or you know eight hours or less and and then move on so those those apps that you yeah. are referring to on the phone scanner apps scanner apps those are are good apps oh they're very good apps are and they? they're they're i mean you know, I imagine there's a certain amount of controversy that goes with it, but I will tell you, I, I really think that they've been a benefit to public safety. Um, it's always better to let people know what's happening rather than trying to say, oh, no, 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 don't look over here. This didn't happen. No, no, no. We're, 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 this is nothing yet. Right. You know, uh, and then once you're there and once you have to keep going, I you know you get in the radio range and you and you listen to things directly and then you understand where you know if you understand the anatomy of a fire and how it's uh uh operationally going to be attacked then you're going to know where to go oh okay and Thanks. yeah for me, I fire follow. I try to fire follow wherever I can, and then I will go when I get by. Come to a roadblock. I, just, I, you know, here I am, and then I will contact the division soup or the uh, the incident commander. Let them know I'm on the fire ground. Mm-hmm. Let them know I'm here. Good. And, and most of those guys are very accommodating. All right. So tell me this: What is your go-to minimalist camera kit? I have a very small Sony camera right now that I have thrilled to death with. It's a 4K camera. It's so far ahead of uh, the world and broadcast specs for something that's size that, you know, right out of the camera, it's broadcast ready. And it basically fits in the palm of my hand. So I put a little monopod on that, and then I, you know, my fire gear is on, and uh, the battery will last forever, and I could go out and I could get quick shots, you know, that... Broadcast Useful, broad, oh yeah, broad, yeah, 4K, mm. you know, in, in, in 4K, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, and the sound is excellent. It would be that one little camera, yeah. and I have, and then the cameras get bigger as uh, as my choices go up. A nice small camera, the Sony you're talking about. Mm. And of course, we're not promoting one no, camera brand no, over no, the other, not. but we're no. just saying this I'm just is saying what you that's, have. That's, that's what I have. So, I'm, I'm so you've got the one 4K camera, a monopod, maybe a, a couple extra batteries. Yeah. Some some yeah. SD cards. Yeah, they're already loaded in there. I got two. It would take forever to fill them up, and oh. so and, and and I don't ever plan uh, when I'm there on the initial attack. I'm never far from my vehicle. I gave up those long hikes a long time ago. I always try to drive to a location where uh, I'm either out of the way, or at least if I'm in an area where other uh, where there's fire apparatus operating, that there's room for me to be in. Do you have a four wheel drive? Yes, I do. Okay, so yeah. that helps. Then. Oh, yeah, nice. four drive is essential. So a survivalist go bag. What do you have in your go kit just for your own personal survival? Uh, you know, I obviously have my uh, personal protection, you know, my Nomex, helmet, gloves, fire shelter. I have food, water, first aid kit. I have a shovel. I have a, a number of other tools. I even have bolt cutters. Bolt cutters? Yeah, well... You know, if if you're going to get run over and you come to something that's locked, then and there's fire coming, and you don't necessarily want to do it, but you know you might have to do that. I've never done it, but I've uh, but I've had firefighters use my bolt cutters because they didn't have them, or and, and I even have a jack, a floor jack in my truck, because if you get a flat, you want you're not going to mess around with something small. You're gonna you're gonna drag that. I have chains. If I have to pull something off the roadway, uh, I have a saw. What kind of uh, saw? It's just a hand saw okay. that folds out. Uh, very 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 sharp uh, wood saw. Okay. You know so. All right. You know. 
So these are things. What, what are clothing flares? Flare no, gun? no flare, no, no flare gun. No, you nothing. start another fire. Yeah, with one it's of absolutely. Them. It's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> uh, don't you know? Flare guns uh, get a lot of attention, but that flare lands someplace. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it lands someplace, and it may not be where you want. It you know, I, I have a two-way radio, and my, my two-way radios. I have ham operation. I have a a Coast Guard radio, which uh, a, you would typically have uh, in a boat that uh, that has. Uh, Emergency hailing, and of course, I make my cell phone and and other things are in service. But what about uh, one of those beacons, uh, I don't get that far into okay. the in, off the road. Uh-huh. If, if if I was in Alaska, I might have a beacon. Okay, but those beacons are very interesting. But you know, it's also extra weight. What is your favorite piece of non photography related equipment? Two way radio makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, sure. I mean that—that's uh, that's what I try to use. So, what other sort of unique tools or technology do you use? Basically, the internet has uh, just been, re- uh, you know, a remarkable addition, and, and just my cell phone. Just if I, as a, I could use that as a camera, uh, and I've—I think I've shown you some footage that mm-hmm. I've shot, and it shoots four K, pretty amazing, and, and it's pretty amazing. You, <laughs> if you, you know, that would be the ultimate. Go to if you have to uh, minimize, minimize, mm-hmm, but for sure. uh, but technology is you know I mean GPS technology I use I also use mapping uh, technology on my iPad I which I keep I will often download section maps from the uh, uh, U- the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture maps or the or USDA topo maps. Yeah. So I have an idea what the topography is. Uh, and it also will provide you without self-service and without uh, any connection, your GPS location. Mm. And then I also have a handheld GPS, which Good. if I, which is always in my, my radio kit. So if I step out of the car and gonna walk someplace, I could find my way back. Have you ever used Venza? No, no. That's a. It's an interesting app. I also have old fashioned compasses too. Those. I, hey, you I, need them. I have three. I'm a compass freak, and I have one that I bought in Baghdad that I use. It's an old uh, Baghdad. Yeah, yeah. I bought in Baghdad back in the. So you can find the, spider holes, right? Well, actually, it was a British Army compass, and oh. it was one of those brass things that were around after World War One, and I paid twenty dollars for it, and and it's, uh, and it's like. Awesome. Built like a tank. Built like a tank. It is. <laughs> it's made of, it is. <laughs> All right. So how about this then? In our professions, because we've been doing things for such a long period of time, we have uh, had successes, but we've also made mistakes along the way. Looking back, what mistakes have you made that you have learned from? Well, I talked about having a floor jack in my truck. That was one mistake that that's the reason I have that because I, I got off on a road once and uh, I got a flat and um, the what I had was not sufficient and I it took me several hours to to, to change a tire to, well just to get some help to do it too oh, okay and um, mistakes could come they could show up in different ways I mean it, it could be misjudging your your personal situation you know your situation your safety situation but I've managed to escape most of the, all of that without any issue at the 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 car fire the recent car fire in in Reading I was up on highway 299 that day when the fire blew up and uh, it was 113 degrees. And it seemed like I spent more time avoiding the fire than I did actually shooting it because it, it was a very fast-moving, changing fire. And I realized that uh, my fuel was low. I said, okay, you, you should have taken the 10 minutes that it took to f- get fuel before you turned up that road and went into the fire. It, it may not seem like a big mistake, but it's a mistake. You don't want to ever have your vehicle run out of fuel. So I was low, and I had to turn around and get out. Well, I went back out and went around and ran into some more issues and, you know, roadways blocked, things like that. You know, it got me out of there. The potential could have... You know, I just don't know where I would have been when that uh, fire tornado, that F3 tornado involved. So... The consequences The consequences could be good. I I mean, I, I just can't really other than those kinds of mistakes i i really just can't think of, of anything are, where there was a consequence for me 
being around or there or anything. But you did the right thing by remembering and making sure that they didn't happen well, again. You learn from those. Right. But for next time, yeah. it may save your life. Well, that's true. Let, let me just say I've loaned out my floor jack to people who needed it on a fire ground <laughs> because they, had, they weren't equipped so, with, with such. But that's th- th- these are small things. And the overall picture for me is to get the shots will just allow you to see how Mother Nature rules us all. And in these large fires that we're seeing and the consequences of, of are just so overwhelming. You know, when you, when you think that, well, we just had a fire that took out 6,000 structures and, and ruined people's lives. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, these are important events to cover. We need to cover and we need to see what actually happens. It's, it's uh, like the folks at the Weather Channel who say, we need to understand what's in this tornado. We need to understand what happens with fire. You are documenting climate change. I'm trying to. It, 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 the only way I, I know how. I have two questions left. One of them is, how many Emmy Awards do you have? Only one nomination. Really? Way, way back. Do you just not submit? No, I don't. No. I'm just not one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from everything that I've seen, uh, you would have won many had you submitted. All right. So now the final question is, is there anything else you want to say that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Well, if you see a, f- a photographer on your scene, guys out there, we're not the enemies of the people. All right. All right. Very good. Tim Walton. Freelance cameraman, Fremont Fire volunteer photographer. That would be photo one, right? Photo one. Photo one. And uh, a VIP photog for uh, Cal Fire. That's correct. Tim, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I know uh, you've got a lot to do. You've got a lot of places to go yet. And we'll see you out there on the fire line sometime. I hope so. All right. I'll keep seeing you. Thank you, Thank Tim. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it, sir. Awesome. Well, if you want to see some of Tim's terrific work, just take a look at any of our video stories on wildfires. His photography is credited throughout them, including many of our inside looks and quick looks. And you'll certainly get a greater understanding of how his dramatic footage, and it is dramatic, much of it, how it adds to our storytelling and conveys our important messages. Check them out at oesnews.com oesnews.com and our YouTube page is actually called Cal EMA TV. That's C-A-L-E-M-A-T-V. Cal Emergency Management Agency TV. That's what it stands for. Cal EMA TV. You know, of course, where there's fire, it's likely that Tim shot it. His footage supplements our own great photography. As I said, he often gets places that we can't. So my sincere thanks to Tim, not only for sitting down and talking with us, but also all of the contributions he has made over the years to our agency and our ability to tell the important stories that we need to tell. And thanks to you, of course, for listening to our little podcast here and taking your valuable time to listen to it. We appreciate it. And uh, of course, be sure to subscribe to All Hazards. That is at the iTunes Store and, of course, Google Play. So whether you're Android or Apple, doesn't matter. You can still listen to them either way. If you have uh, any questions or you have some comments or even an idea of who we might want to talk to, shoot me an email to questions at caloes.ca.gov. That's questions at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at Cal OES, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.